Well, good morning, Oak Mountain. I, too, am Tom Patton, one of the uh, pastors here, and I'm delighted to be able to welcome you. And I just have something really important to share with you. I don't think you know and understand what an amazing team Bob has assembled to get to work with Bob, or that Bob gets to work with, is the way I should say that. You're going to really enjoy this. So Bob asked me a couple of weeks ago if I'd be willing to preach, and uh, I said yes. And so I was looking forward in the blue book and saw that uh, this week we would be studying the section on shape by the Word. And one of my favorite passages in the New Testament is Colossians 3. And so I sent Bob a text. I said, Bob, you haven't preached from Colossians 3 anytime recently, have you? <laughs> I get this text back. Patton, where were you last spring when I preached through the book of Colossians? <laughs> He's got an amazing team to work with. Anyway, I'm excited to be able to share with you this morning from uh, Colossians chapter 3. Um, I'm just going to tidy up what Bob left unsaid. From <laughs> So if you will stand out of reverence for God and His Word and listen to uh, verse 16 and 17 from chapter 3. Let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thanksgiving in your hearts to God. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. Let's pray together. Lord, thank You that we can come before You. And Lord, we can come before You honestly. We can share our brokenness. We can share our struggles and know that you receive us. And so, Lord, this morning as we talk about being shaped by the Word and the Word dwelling richly in us, we pray, Father, that you would make us faithful disciples of Christ for your glory and honor. And we do pray it in your name. Amen. You may be seated. So this morning, we're going to look at this passage from three points about what it means to be shaped by the Word. We're going, to let, we're, we're going to consider what it means to let the Word dwell richly as faithful disciples, as humble disciples, and as engaged disciples. And so point one, being shaped by the Word as faithful disciples now, I'm going to go back and, and remind you of the context. In Colossians chapter 3, verse 1, uh, the writer Paul says, If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, is seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not things of this earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with Him in glory. Now, there's a very real sense in which those few verses are the preamble, and what comes after it is unpacking what's in those verses. He begins in verse 5, he says, Put to death, therefore, whatever is earthly in you. And that's a part of what it means to be 
raised with Christ and setting our mind on things above. And then in verse 12 and following, he talks about put on then as Christ's righteous ones, holy and beloved, the, the character traits, the personality traits of Christ. And when we get down to verse 16 and 17, 16 and 17, are, it's a section about that, about what it means to put on uh, what it means to be a Christ follower. And so then he says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. And so let's think for a few minutes about that. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Are you a Christ follower? Are you a disciple of Christ? If you say yes, then you are called to allow the word, to let the word dwell in you richly. It's actually in the Greek, a kind of an interesting construct. The word dwell means that we're to let it take up full residence in our souls. We're to let the word of God take up full residence in our souls. Actually, that the word would be master of the residence. He's to have full, the word is to have full influence over our lives. It's also this picture of fullness, like consuming a rich meal, being deeply satisfied after having a, a steak dinner that is paired with a nice red wine. It's something that we take in, that we consume, that we savor, that is thoroughly enjoyed. That's the way we are to partake of the word. That is the picture of what he's suggesting that a faithful follower or a faithful disciple of Christ would allow the word to dwell richly within us. You know, in the blue book, each, uh, each week there are different readings that go along with it. And there's this great quote uh, from Jim Branch's blue book on page 44 that you'll come to this week. Let me read it to you. Take it in fully, gently, carefully what you're reading. Taste it. Digest it as you read it. Use the scripture passage to sense the presence of the Lord. You stay with the passage until you have sensed the very heart of what you've read. Your purpose is to take everything from the passage that unveils the Lord to you. Now let me ask you, what does consuming the Word of God look like to you? I'm going to be honest. Too often, it looks a little bit like a snack on the run, doesn't it? Can anybody, can anybody relate to me? And a few weeks ago, I shared with the staff team, I said, y'all, I just, I feel so dull. I feel like I'm in the spiritual doldrums. And I began to think about it. I was, I was reading the Bible basically every day. But then I stopped and, and thought about it. I was not meditating on it. I was not letting the Word impact my soul and really um, letting it dwell deeply in me. 
And so this process has been wonderful to be able to preach, to be able to prepare. It's been able to, God has used it to revive my soul. And so I'm grateful for this, for this opportunity. Now let me ask you, when you hear the phrase, let the word dwell richly, let the word dwell, dwell richly, let the word dwell, what comes to mind? Does John 1 come to your mind? In the beginning was the, the word was with God, the word was God. So we're not talking about letting some theological construct, some kind of um, heavy uh, intellectual debate be the subject that you dwell on but a person, allowing the person of Jesus to come and abide in us. That's what he's talking about. Think, too, about Jesus' time with the disciples. The disciples were with him. Jesus never took the disciples, sat them down in a classroom and said, Okay, guys, here are the ten things I want you to remember today. I want you to take away today. No, they went with Jesus there were often, they'd walk along and Jesus would say something. They'd lean over one. Did you get that? Did you understand that? They were often confused. They had questions. They misunderstood. They got stuff wrong. And Jesus was so patient with them. But they were learning the word in community. And they were wrestling with the word together with Jesus. That's what it means to partake of the word. Now, we don't have Jesus to walk with us and to answer our questions. So what does it look like for us on a daily basis? What does it mean to be a faithful disciple of Christ, allowing the word to dwell richly? Well, first, it means we need to read it. And one of the reasons that we're doing the Blue Book was about five years ago, we began to um, ask the congregation about their habits of studying the Word. And we realized that there was um, a real lack of uh, study of the Word. And so this has been a wonderful thing to, to read the Word and to read the Word together. But then we've got to do more than just read it. We've got to meditate upon it. We've got to study it. We've got to learn it. We need to memorize it. So kids, this, this word is for you. Memorize the word of God while you're young. Because when you get old like me, you can't remember anything. Can't remember if I'll preach from Colossians. Now, I really want to encourage you to hide the word in your hearts. This is what it means to be a faithful disciple of Christ who is letting the word dwell richly. May it be true for us as well. Let's move on to point two. We're to let the word dwell in us richly as humble disciples. Look again at verse 16. Let, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom. 
Now, I know there's some of you going, where did you get humble from that? Actually, since we are Christ followers, we're commanded to emulate the posture of our Lord, right? What was Jesus' posture in teaching? Did Jesus teach and admonish? Did he speak hard words? Yeah, there were times that he spoke hard words. I think one of the passages that came to mind as I was thinking about this was John 8, when Jesus is um, the, the Pharisees, the, the righteous leaders, bring before him this woman who's been caught in adultery. And I think it's really an interesting study. Jesus never diminishes the truth of his word. He never says that she wasn't in sin. Interestingly enough, he never contradicts the, the religious leaders who say she's broken the law and she deserves to be judged. He never says anything to contradict that. But what he does is he flips it. And he says to the self-righteous religious leaders, sure, stoner. And those of you without sin, you be the first one to throw a stone. And they all left. Jesus admonishes with incredible humility and gentleness. Think about the story of the woman at the well in John chapter 4. Here's this woman. She's sinful. She's had five husbands. She brings to him a basket full of bad theology. She, all the questions that she asked were amazing. Did Jesus unload on her and say, you need to get your theology right? No. Jesus goes to the greatest need of that woman. She was an immoral woman, and because of that, she had been shunned by her community. And so she comes out in the, in the heat of the day to draw water so that she wouldn't be there with the other women who would look down on her. And Jesus says, I offer to you living water. She, Jesus wants to take away her shame. That's, he admonished her with grace. His compassion is incredible. And what's beautiful in that story that I love, this woman who had been shunned by the community, she gets to run back to town and say, hey, come and meet the Savior. She gets to introduce the Savior to the people who had shunned her. And it's a beautiful picture of God's grace. In both situations, Jesus taught. In both situations, Jesus admonished. But he did so graciously. And there are so many other examples that we could look to in the scriptures. Now you may be thinking, now wait a minute, Tom. Jesus turned over the, the uh, tables. He lashed out from time to time. But who was it that he lashed out against? Again, it was the self-righteous religious leaders 
they were the ones that he went after. But for those who were humble learners, Jesus was patient and Jesus was gracious. So, disciple of Christ, what does it look like for you who are being called to teach and to admonish? I would say it's to emulate your Savior. And one of the ways that we can do that, one of the most effective ways is for for us to wrestle with, what is God teaching me? What are the things that God has taught me from His Word? That I then share with someone rather than speaking down to people, teaching down or admonishing like, I've got it all together. I'm going to tell you how, how it is. Instead, maybe, maybe it's that we're confronting someone who's in sin and we might go to that person, but rather than taking a position of pride and arrogance, we say, hey, brother, I've been down that path. I know where that leads. You don't want to go there dramatically different we don't come to others from a posture of pride or arrogance but with one of humility i love the the example in the sermon on the mount in matthew 7 where jesus says when you go to a brother and you want to help this brother get a speck out of his eye what do you do first You make sure that you get the log out of your own eye. You don't come puffed up with knowledge or with an air of superiority. You start with where you start with your own sin. Start with your own failings. Be willing to acknowledge that. Get the log out of your own eye. And then you can help the brother or the sister get the speck out of their eye. Such as a humble posture like Jesus. I think one of the most powerful and profound teaching moments in Jesus' ministry was on the night that all of his disciples would run away. That one of his closest disciples who said, Jesus, I'm willing to die with you. He would deny that he even knew who Jesus was. Three times, that same very night. And then the next morning, Jesus would be falsely accused and would be murdered. I've thought about this before, this passage from um, John chapter 13. If you know that your friends are about to abandon you, you know that you're about to be murdered no, let me put it this way. If I were that person, I would only be thinking about myself. What does Jesus do? He gets up from the table. He dons a towel and he stoops down. The king of kings stoops down and washes the feet of his disciples. That's, that's what it means to teach. He goes on to say that the greatest, the greatest of his disciples is the servant of all, not the master theologian, not the amazing apologist, but the greatest servant. 
I feel like in our day and age, we feel like we have to win an argument. I feel like we have to argue, and then we have to win the argument, and they have to understand our point. He says in this passage that we are to teach and admonish with all wisdom. I think sometimes the greatest display of wisdom is for us to go slap our hand over our mouth and be quiet. Say what needs to be said, say the truth, and let the Holy Spirit do His work. The Spirit and the Word working in our brother or sister in Christ. We don't need to abuse others with the truth. Let God's truth do its work. I live with an amazingly gifted teacher. And our son Nathan, also incredibly gifted teacher. And over the last couple of years, I've been studying what is it about their craft that makes them so gifted. And I've come to realize this. They inspire others to want to learn and to want to grow. That is exactly what we are called to do. To teach and admonish with all wisdom is to inspire one another to grow and to learn. May it be that that would be the way we as faithful and humble disciples encourage one another. And then point three, we are to let the word of God dwell in us richly as engaged disciples. Um, Let me invite you to look again at verse 16 and 17. The second half of verse 16 and then the rest of uh, 17. Singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thanksgiving in your hearts to God. And whatever you do in word or deed... Do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. The disciple who lets the Word dwell richly will be shaped by that Word. And what will result will be thanksgiving and praise and service rendered to God and to His people. Paul speaks about songs and hymns and spiritual songs. Reckon what Christian radio station that was he was referring to. He's thinking about the Psalms, right? 150 poems, songs, laments of the people of God. I want you to flip over to Psalm 103. I want us to just look at this together real quick. Psalm 103 holds a special place in my, in my life. A number of years ago, I was playing games spiritually. I wasn't holding God off at arm's distance like this, but I was holding God off at arm's distance like this. There were things that I was saying, no, God, I'm not willing for you. I'm not willing to give this to you. And I was reading a J.C. Ryle book and reading Psalm 103 And God just got a hold of my heart. Listen to these words. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. You can hear 
You can hear the psalmist, Psalm, uh, you can hear David just welling up with gratitude to God his, and encouraging his soul to worship God as he's due. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgives all of your iniquities, who heals all of your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy, who satisfies you with good so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. And then down to verse 8. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. The Lord is merciful and gracious to you. Slow to anger. We often think that God's just waiting. He just can't wait to get us. And that's not the posture of God in the scriptures. Abounding in steadfast love. Verse 11 as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love towards those who fear him or respect him or humble themselves before him. As far as the east is from the west. How far is the east separated from the west? You can't get any further. So far has God removed our transgressions from us. You know, there are times when we sing hymns and songs in this church, and I just stop singing and listen, and I let you sing the truths of those words into my soul. And that's what happens when we read Psalms like this. When we meditate upon the character, the mercy, the kindness, the grace, the love, even the holiness of God, we cannot not be impacted. We cannot not respond. It will lead each and every one of us to be engaged disciples, engaged with God, engaged with gratitude and worship and engaged in service. So let me ask you, Oh, Christian, what are your circumstances? What are the circumstances that you're dealing with today? Where might the Father be desiring to engage you as one of his disciples? Are you anxious? Maybe the Father wants to meet with you over Philippians 4, verse 6 and 7. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God and the peace of God that surpasses all comprehension will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Maybe it's not anxiety that you're dealing with. Maybe it's conflict. Let me encourage you to go to the Father and go to Psalm 37, verses 1 through 8, and reflect on that, that psalm. It will change you. The, the psalmist encourages us to lift our gaze off of our circumstances, to delight in the Lord. He invites us to trust Him, to be still, to fret not. 
it will shift your perspective. It will impact you and you will overflow with thanksgiving and worship to the living God who's willing to work in your circumstances and the conflicts you're dealing with. Maybe today you're wrestling with guilt or shame. Let me encourage you to meet with the Father over Matthew 11, verses 28 to 30. Jesus says, Come to me. Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest for your souls. You see, when we when we're wrestling with sin, when we feel the weight of our sin, what do we want to do? It's the human nature. We want to run and hide. We want to run and hide from God. What does Jesus say when we feel the weight of our sin? Come. Come unto me, all who are weary and heavy laden. We can come and we can bring all of our failings and all of our sin. And every one of those were nailed to the cross. And you don't stand before a holy God holding your, if you trust in Christ, you are not holding all of your sin before this holy God. Instead, Jesus has transferred to you all of his righteousness. You are clothed in that righteousness. And when the father looks at you, he sees you just as righteous as the son. You are free. You are forgiven. Jesus is the answer. He says, come, don't run and hide. Maybe you're dealing with sickness or something else. Let me encourage you to read Romans chapter 8. Begin at verse 1 and read to the end and go back and read it again. And meditate upon these truths. The fact that Jesus is standing before the throne of God praying for you, interceding before you, before the throne of God for you. It even says in that passage that the Holy Spirit intercedes with groanings too deep to be comprehended. Such is the love and passion of God for you. If you meditate upon that, it will transform you. It will make you filled with thanks and praise and worship to God. Now, some of you may be thinking... You know, I think when I think about the scriptures, I think that they're just platitudes. They're like Hallmark Channel-esque sayings. But that could not be further from the truth because the book of Hebrews says that the word of God is living and active. And as we, as faithful, humble disciples of Christ, engaged disciples of Christ, engage with him and his word, It will change us. It will lead us to God. It will change our perspective. It will lead us to worship. Thanks and gratitude. And then from a position of health, we will move out into service, doing all things to the glory of God, not serving to earn points or favor from God, not seeking to curry favor from others, but serving with an open hand.
doing all to the glory of God, flowing forth from hearts of gratitude. That, I believe, is what this passage teaches. Now, I want to close by turning to Psalm 1. And I want to encourage you, if you have your Bibles, turn there with me and just read this in closing. Listen to these words. Blessed, blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. But that man's delight is in the law of the Lord or the word of God. And on his law, he meditates day and night. He is like a tree that is firmly planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season and his leaf does not wither, and whatever he does prospers. Let us pray together. Lord, may we be those who meditate upon your word day and night, filled with your word, overflowing with your word, and glorifying and honoring you. And we pray this together in your holy name. Amen. Let me invite you to rise and receive God's gracious word to you. And now may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the profound love of God for you, and the transforming power of the Holy Spirit rest and abide upon each one of you now and forevermore.